The Island Portugal Business Network is comprised of more than 150 member companies based in Portugal and Ireland. These companies are from a wide range of industries and professions and represent in excess of 25,000 people. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ireland Portugal Business Network podcast. I'm Ellis Dixon, the content manager for the IPBN, and joining me today is Pedro Henrique, founder and CEO of Bridge Inn. Bridge Inn is a Portuguese company that helps other companies open offices in Portugal and recruit talent here. Today, we'll be discussing what kinds of work Bridge Inn is currently engaged in, how this can help companies solve expansion and hiring problems, and perhaps most importantly, what the term employer of record means and why that's important. So, Pedro, it is lovely to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. And very nice to be here and always thankful for the invite. It's always a great pleasure to join anything that IPBN does. Always super enjoyable and good fun. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet of you to say. Well, I've had the pleasure of speaking with you before uh, on behalf of the IPBN as we were leading up to our investing and hiring in Portugal webinar. Maybe you remember it was in 2021. I believe it was right before the end of lockdown. Uh, but times have certainly changed since then, haven't they? Uh, so maybe this is a good chance for you to give us a quick update and maybe an overview of what it is that you do at Bridgen. Yeah, no, absolutely. So times did flew by really fast, right? It seems so many different things happening in the world uh, in the last couple of years. But yeah, focusing on uh, what we do, uh, obviously we at Bridgen, we focus on helping companies, uh, typically tech companies uh, from uh, from abroad, and we work uh, obviously with companies in Ireland, but I would say you know north or, of Europe and North America as a whole that want to get established in Portugal, right? And so obviously dealing with the, the barriers of entry, the unknowns, things like will I be able to hire hire people? Where do I find it? You know how much will it cost? What is the actual salary benchmark that I can use to set expectations? And then all the things around employment cost, taxation, work contract. So you know. Very boring bureaucratic stuff, but, you know, things that need to be done, they need to be compliant. So that's our goal is to support companies in that journey. Well, somebody's got to do it, don't they, Pedro? And from what I hear, you're yeah. very good at what you do. <laughs> well, we try, we try. And just, just to add to that, so uh, I think the interesting thing here is looking at a lot of these topics with the engineering uh, mindset, which is obviously my uh, education. Uh, although I got into this more bureaucratic world, I'm a software engineer by training, actually, right? And so when you think uh, uh, and see a lot of these, you know, work contracts here, paperwork there, signatures, declarations, it feels somewhat inefficient. It feels somewhat, you know, still very pen and paper a lot of times. And so a big part of what we also try to do is, you know, try to bring digital transformation to it, make it more standardized, efficient, predictable, and use technology to gain efficiency in delivering all of this. Excellent. Streamlining the process is always is always key for any business wanting to move forward. Um, but as we were sort of preparing for this podcast, we had uh, you had mentioned a term that I'm not familiar with, and I'd be really, really uh, glad to have you explain it. Um, and it, the, the term is employer of record. So can you kind of tell me what is an employer of record and how does that work? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, terms and buzzwords, you know, we hear them all the time, right? So uh, employer of record or EOR is actually this idea that uh, you use a company to employ someone on your behalf. So let's say, typical example, you are a company from Ireland, from the UK, 
you find someone in Portugal, maybe because you have a job ad online, someone applied, you really like this person, but this person was in a country like Portugal that you don't have operations. So you have no way to actually legally employ this person. And so you could use your uh, provider that operates in Portugal that can provide a work contract so that this person in Portugal has a work contract in Portugal with you know all the benefits and expectations, you know, all the social protections uh, and can still work for you. So essentially is a you know introduces a third party. This is obviously there are you know other solutions in the market and sometimes this could even be known by different names. I do hear a lot, particularly in North America, called co-employment. Um, you know, in older uh, times, maybe this was called PEO or professional employer organization. You know, so it's just the name, I guess. The key thing, obviously, is, and to give a bit of context, is with the pandemic and when everyone starts to work remotely, uh, obviously, you know, why were you working maybe from a small flat uh, in a big city uh, with a huge rent when you are working through, you know, online uh, medium such as, you know, Slack and Zoom and whatnot. And you could actually be doing the same exact job, other side of the world, much sunnier, cost of living much lower potentially. And so employers also looked at that, right, with an opportunity to hire and attract talent. But then came the bureaucratic hurdle of, okay, I find people, but how do I employ them? And that's why, you know, EOR as a new trendy topic grew tremendously in the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you explain the concept of transitioning from an EOR to a business incorporation in Portugal? And if you can, tell me why do you believe it's a less risky path for businesses entering the market, if so? Yeah, and that's a very interesting question. And it's all about um, the maturity of uh of, of these setups, right? So what we find a lot of times happening is, you know, a company, you know, let's say we are back in 2020 or 2021, right? Everyone is in lockdown. Uh, you just need people to help you build something. Obviously, this is, you know, kind of restricted to knowledge workers that can work over the internet. It doesn't really work other sectors of activity. But let's say you find someone, you employ that person, you know, through an employee of record in a country that you don't have operations, that person eventually, you know, brings a friend. And so, you know, from one, suddenly you are, it's 2023 and you have five to 10 people working out of that uh, country, right? And then you start to realize, okay, so obviously the presence in this country has been important for us to grow operation and have a talent pool. And we are pay paying a third party to employ these people on our behalf. Maybe now we have critical mass to justify incorporating incorporating a subsidiary in that country, right? And so that's a common journey we found and actually uh, quite a common path, should I say. So this transition, which is now becoming a little bit more prevalent, uh, it would be essentially you decided that, you know, we have reached critical mass within the country. So you'll want to go ahead, incorporate a subsidiary and then move the employees that were employed in that country through your provider uh, to be employed through your recent created subsidiary. Now, you could actually use this not as a you know reactive plan to the you know change in the last few years, but actually use also employer of record tactically to get into a new market. And that makes it a little bit more interesting uh, and can improve indeed or reduce the risk. 
And so there's two, two main takeaways or you know opportunities with that. One is to think that um, incorporating a subsidiary, obviously you need to sign a lot of paperwork. So you know it takes longer to get started, right? So if you need to have a, corp a, a, a subsidiary up and running, ready uh, to employ the first employee, you are months delaying that plan months. Uh, and you know, to the contrary to what you sometimes hear, uh, incorporating a company that is a subsidiary of a foreign holding company, maybe with a managing director that is not a resident in that country, is not something that can be done in a matter of days. You, you should think more like weeks and potentially even months. I will say from our experience, and we have talked with a lot and worked with a lot of you know bigger companies with complex holding structures, you know, with VCs on the cap table and all of that. Uh, sometimes the ultimate beneficiary registration and the bank account opening can even take months. So you can see why, you know, maybe starting with an EOR enables you to employ someone pretty much right away. And then you build, uh, you know, that company, all of that paperwork gets signed while, you know, you are building the team. So that we've seen that also happening now. So using EOR, not as an end, but as a, you know, a path. Um, and, you know, being a little bit more pragmatic, it could also be a, a way to validate the market because let's, let's face it. Uh, and we do talk with, again, with a lot of companies that think this, particularly those that don't know as much the markets and obviously we focus in Portugal. So, you know, a company, for instance, from North America might not actually know how the talent is like in Portugal. They might have never worked with anyone. Uh, and so there is a bit of a risk and uh, the, you know, the decision makers could be like, okay, this sounds interesting, but Will we find people in Portugal that, you know, are good fits culturally, you know, have enough knowledge and whatever it is. And so you probably don't want to go and commit with an incorporation and a lot of people work and a lot of time if you don't know if that location will work for you. Right. So you are is, again, a, a less risky way to get started and decrease, you know, the opportunity cost if things don't work out. Mm -hmm. So those are those are definitely viable advantages. Um, are there any potential challenges for using EOR services for establishing a local team in a new market? Yeah, yeah, obviously, there's no you know solution that is only positives. Um, I would say the biggest challenge is actually with scale, right? So uh, if you start a team and it continues to grow, you actually get into some potential regulatory troubles. Like we've see, we see uh, increasing discussion about permanent establishment risk. And so, you know, the general idea behind that is if you say, let's say a sales team in Portugal, and you don't, don't have a, an entity there, but you're signing contracts there, does that not mean that you should be paying sales tax on that country, right? So, you know, it does establish that. And so that's a topic that we've seen, you know, growing and start to become, you know, more and more a concern from a, you know, liability and exposure perspective. So, yeah, so, you know, one thing is to have one, two, I would say up to five URs, if you are beyond that point, and even if they are not necessarily on sales role, because, you know, let's say that, you know, they are developers, same thing applies, which is, okay, so is this solution built here and any revenue generated out of it should not stay in the country, as you probably know. A lot of countries, particularly in European Union, are trying to, you know, ensure that they receive their fair share of taxation on, you know, the activities produced. So, yeah, that's one, I would say, um, limitation. Uh, the other one, although, you know, probably a lot uh, less than other solutions, is 
how this talent, you know, how this candidate that you want to hire perceive this, this setup, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, from our experience, uh, most people typically prefer to be directly employed by the company. Let's face it, right? That feels the, you know, the most obvious path. But uh, it is very well known, particularly in IT, that there are plenty of, you know, IT consulting companies or that provide, you know, a remote development services, either through, you know, dev boutiques or offshoring, nearshoring, IT outsourcing. There's, you know, plenty of names and buzzwords for that. Uh, and a lot of times that's actually almost similar dynamic to EOR in the sense that someone identified you and wants to employ you, but does not have an operation in the country to offer you a work contract. So we use a third party. The issue is that typical outsourcers have, you know, what I would say slightly less transparent um, uh, practices. And by that, I mean, it is very common that, you know, an outsourcer takes a cut of the employee salary, right? And we see, right. you know, anywhere between 20 to 25%. So, you know, you as an employee can feel like, okay, I could be making more money if I was employed directly, right? And on the other side, it is also the problem that will you identify as an employee of the end company or the local outsourcing company, right? right. EOR is better than that because there is generally, first of all, is usually a flat fee, right? So there's not a percentage of your salary. And, you know, the fee that the employer of record charges the company is more like, you know, an admin fee, like, you know, you would need to have an HR person, you know, to deal with, with stuff. So it's, you know, driving from that sort of budget and not exactly your salary, a cut of your salary. And on the other perspective, EORs, uh, at least we at Bridgine, definitely don't want people to feel part of us. We want them to feel part of the end employer, right? We are just the facilitators that make sure that everything is done correctly. Everyone has a contract. Everyone has, you know, uh, the mandatory insurances and protections as they should be. Good. Uh, well, I'm wondering if you could share with us some sort of real world success story or a case study of a company that has effectively used the EOR services before, uh, well, before transitioning to a full scale business incorporation in Portugal. Yeah. Now we have a couple actually, and every company is different, right? Every company's path is slightly different, you know, depends on ex exterior factors, their growth, and obviously, again, yeah, the last few years have been challenging. We've seen companies growing, some of them unfortunately laying off, others continue to grow. So it's a bit of a mix and match. Uh, I would say one of our earliest uh, customers and one that you know we can actually probably talk about because we even had uh, them getting featured in uh, in some um, media in Portugal is of uh, Design Pickle. And so this is a, a creative company from the United States um, that we started uh, helping them build a team in Portugal in 2020, so height of the pandemic, um, that team, you know, uh, grew, they were very happy and it was, you know, particularly interesting because we heard a few things, you know, enabled me uh, to talk good about Portuguese talent for a bit. Uh, no, they gave us feedback about, you know, how easy and how good the folks that joined their team were. And this was sometimes in comparison with other countries. And I would say, you know, there's talent everywhere, right? A lot of, a lot of times the difference could be to the way that you communicate over the internet. And let's face it, I truly believe that most people in Portugal, first, they do have a fairly good English level. And second, 
uh, culturally speaking, we are very Atlantic, right? So we have very Western, you know, values, you know, we watch a lot of series, you know, in English and all of that. So it's very close, right? It's easy to talk to. Um, and so, you know, they, they, it was very successful for them. They hired the people they need here. Uh, and about one year after they were using us as an employer of record, they reached out to us and said, look, this is clearly successful. Uh, we want to incorporate the company and move people to be directly employed by us. And we did that for them. So, you know, we worked on explaining uh, everything they need to know because, you know, as an EOR, obviously we were responsible for all the employment contracts and all of that. And now that they were to employ people, we needed to kind of explain them the, the key things they need to understand in terms of employment law, obviously employment liability, and let's face it, uh, Comparing particularly if we are looking Europe versus North America, Europe tends to be have a stronger social state. So it tends to have a little bit more protections to employees rather than in um, North America. And it is important that the companies you know, are told so that they set the expectations straight. That's a big part of also what we do. And so that is one case, you know, they started with the OR, a kind of, okay, we don't know if this will work. It worked, they were successful, they incorporated a company. Uh, and this is just one of the stories. We actually have uh, quite a few. Let me just maybe mention another one, uh, which is a company from, and this is actually an interesting story. So um, we started talking to them again, also in 2020 on the road to Web Summit uh, at the time. Uh, and, and so I think we kind of put a seed uh, that uh, to why not Portugal, right? And they are a cybersecurity company from Israel. Um, they didn't immediately thought about it. So, you know, a year passed, but then back in summer 2021, they decided, okay, we want to start an operation in Portugal. So we did pretty much the, the same we did for design people, which is we, we help them find people. We explain them, you know, salary benchmarks, you know, sorts of benefits to include. And we grew that team from zero to about 10 people, uh, I believe in six months or so. Uh, and since then, they also incorporate the company because, you know, they got to the size that, you know, this is working out. And so I believe they are now close to 20 people and we continue to support them on the day to day running, you know, payroll, doing the month's end, accounting, helping them putting together work contracts, uh, you know, again, all of that bureaucratic part that is important to be done. But, you know, someone back in Israel or the United States or whatever will have no you know, perception of what is actually needed to be done in Portugal. Wow, you at Bridgen must have a lot of very, very helpful breathing exercises to be dealing with that kind of bureaucracy. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. impressed to say the, the very least. Um, and this leads into my my next question uh, about legal and regulatory considerations. We all love those. Um, so, what legal and regulatory considerations should businesses be aware of when they're operating through EOR in Portugal? And how do these considerations change when you're transitioning to a subsidiary model? Right. So, you know, EOR does shield companies a bit, right? Because the direct responsibility of employment is of the employer of record. Uh, I would assume that most providers, we, all, we certainly do that, do have obviously were, uh, you know, arrangements and contracts with the company where a lot of these, you know, conditions and liability is somewhat, you know, back to back, right? And a, a good example of this sort of liability is again, let's say that you, you know, you need to terminate someone, right? So 
they are obviously different work contracts and it is important to understand the different work contracts. Uh, but, you know, let's say that you have a work contract with them, uh, with someone and that, you know, the trial period is over and you want to let someone go, right? And so obviously there's, you know, a couple of reasons in the law why you can let someone go, but, you know, some are more easy to prove and call and you might have just cause, others might be a little bit more troublesome. Uh, let's say that you need to find, you know, an uh, arrangement, an agreement and pay a severance to the person leaving, right? So supposedly the employer, the end employer will be called out to pay that severance because it's them that want to, you know, let the person go, right? But this is uh, actually a sort of a third party negotiation where uh, the end employer would have the support of the employer of record to try to, you know, find a common ground that serves all parties, if you move and you have a direct subsidiary, you know, you can still have the support, you know, from a company like Regine or lawyers or whatever it may be, but you are the direct responsible. So it's not like, you know, a liability that flows to you through a contract is actually direct liability of employment. And that's, you know, important to, to understand. Uh, other things come from you know, more the day-to-day -day operation of the business, right? The the needing to file, you know, uh, tax uh, paperwork, you know, both both from, you know, obviously employment taxes, but, you know, VAT quarterly or monthly, depending on re revenue level, but also the corporate filings and corporate tax at the end of the year. So obviously you cannot forget about that. But I would say that all of that is, you know, pretty much similar all over the world, you know, because there's corporate tax everywhere. The, the few things that are a little bit trickier are the minute regulations that each country have. So, you know, Europe is obviously, uh, you know, as a, as a group, uh, European Union is a significant market, right? A lot of consumers, so it's a significant economic block. However, although you do have a general umbrella of regulations, every country still has its own laws. And, you know, you even have the laws in different languages because we do have different languages. So can be a little bit nightmarish. And, and although the general rules seem to be somewhat common, the small print is really, you know, the key thing, really the key challenge. And an example of this would be, you know, uh, things like, you know, in Portugal, if you are to employ someone, People need to complete a medical consultation. You need to have healthy and safety at work. You need to file, you know, information about, you know, the security of your employees, of the workplace. You need to have, you know, let's say uh, emergency exits. Uh, but even beyond that, you are required to do mandatory training. Uh, the last one that we are implementing is um, if you are employing Portugal and you need to you have over 50 people, you actually need to have a channel where people can complain uh, about, you know, things happening, like an anonymous complaint channel, right, for, you know, harassment or whatever it is. So it's all of those small prints that are, you know, obviously harder and you really need to work with experts that know and have done this, right? And, you know, an EOR setup, you kind of get shielded if you go to incorporate. Obviously, there's some advantages, but you do get full exposure to all of that. Uh-huh. Well, that leads beautifully into my next question, which is, in which situations might it be more appropriate for a business to skip this EOR phase and just go directly to business incorporation in Portugal? Because I'm sure there are some factors uh, that companies should weigh when they make this decision. Absolutely. So uh, I think a key one, and this does happen in some areas, 
is when you actually your business does not enable to use this sort of third party relationship okay and the typical sectors for that will be defense uh le healthcare less so defense is really i think the good example right so typically you know you as a company that might be you know uh, incorporated elsewhere you might have customers or you might even work with governments that forbid you to use a third-party provider. So you need to be the de facto uh, employer of the folks. They are contributors and you know, working for you know, your company and you know, any customers you have. So that's one example where you probably need to skip the OR phase altogether. Uh, another one with obviously very different motivation will probably be you know, the size of your commitment, right? So one thing is, you know, if you are not maybe not 100% certain, maybe if you have questions about how successful it can be on a new market, you know, AOR does enable you to, you know, tip your feet in the water without getting like fully committed into months long paperwork and bureaucratic red tape. However, if you already done all the due diligence, you are already fully committed, you maybe are planning to hire 10, 20, 50, 100 plus team members, you know, maybe you just go straight to incorporation, right? Uh, because let's face it, uh, you will, you know, comparing, and, you know, this is obviously, I can speak for bridging, but comparing the service costs for EOR and the service costs for what we call company as a service, which is our support on, you know, on the ongoing of these operations, you know, the, the second, so the company as a service will be cheaper in volume, right? And the reason is very simple. Uh, because the li employment liability is from the company. We just work on, you know, the back office, the legal tax, payroll, and accounting. Uh, with YOR, we do have the, you know, obligation of onboarding, of boarding payroll, and the liability of employment. So it's slightly different. So yes, for bigger, already committed uh, operations, you might want to skip YOR and go directly to business operations, or when your area of operation might detect so because of, you know, um, regulations or whatever maybe. Excellent. Well, if uh, if I have a company, whether it's large or small, and I wanted to move to Portugal, I would definitely call you for your advice because it sounds like you're the guy who would make it happen for me and uh, and my business. Um, so I I'd like to give you the floor for any closing words or remarks you'd like to leave before I sign off for the podcast. Thank you. No, look, always a pleasure, and yes, you totally should. Uh, I think. The the main thing here is is all about trust, right? So a lot of times when we talk with our team in terms of how we work with companies, and we do work with you know fairly big companies actually, public traded unicorn valuations and all of that, it's the amount of deliver at very high quality. You know, to to the contrary to some other areas of industry where you have emergent companies that you know have that sort of ethos of move fast and break stuff that does not work in this field, right? You do not want to break payroll. You do not want to miss tax payments, right? So the seniority of, of our team and the ability to deliver is really important. And I would say another thing, which sometimes is not fully appreciated in international business, which is if you are looking, obviously bridging focus on Portuguese market for now, uh, although looking to expand next year, uh, we can do another podcast by then. Ah, I but, look forward. You know, <laughs> no, but if you want to focus in Portugal, uh, you need to realize that Portugal, it is a small country, right? It is. And with that comes a small economy and also comes, you know, a lot of providers that, you know, make their 
life by working with you know other small companies in the economy. And so generally speaking, uh, I do believe that a lot of local providers have somewhat of a super sub service delivery and a great example, or I should say a bad example of that is, for instance, the time it can take by just having response to email, right? So when I was working in global companies, uh, you know, you expect, if you're a customer, you have an issue, you expect, you know, anywhere from a few hours to a 24-hour reply on our requests. Like weeks, it's not acceptable. However, unfortunately, in Portugal, sometimes that happens. Uh, and so don't underappreciate that. Uh, it's not guaranteed that we'll find providers that speak fluent English and have great customer uh, service as you provide your customers and as you are expected in an international environment. So, you know, just be aware of that because unfortunately we do see operations kind of failing and failing not necessarily because the providers don't know, but because they don't pay attention. They don't reply. They don't operate in a fast pace, which is the pace of international business. Yeah. And I remember you telling me that you had worked in Austin, Texas for a time. So I think you're you're very much uh, bred with this, um, I guess, well, I could call it the American work ethic. Uh, and it obviously oh, yeah. it translates to your team. So that's, that's really incredible. And it's great to hear. Um, so in closing, I, I guess I'd like to take a moment to thank you again, Pedro, for being here with us uh, to deliver this incredibly insightful uh, IPBN podcast. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and, of course, to have you as a member. Likewise, always a pleasure to be here. Thanks again for the invite. No worries. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one that could potentially influence your business for the better, please be sure to subscribe to the Ireland Portugal Business Network podcast on Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in becoming a subject of one of our podcasts, please get in touch with us online or by email to our general manager, Arnold Delville. Once again, this is Ellis Dixon thanking you for all listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. This has been a production of the IPBN in partnership with Pinkroom. For more information, visit us online at island-portugal.com and on LinkedIn at Island Portugal Business Network. For more IPBN podcasts, find us on Spotify or visit our website for the full list of episodes.